Welcome to the sermon podcast of St. Matthias Anglican Church in Katy, Texas. Today's sermon was delivered by Father Jason Grote. In the words of my mouth, the meditations of our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Before I begin, I have to make a confession in advance. Having fought a sickness most days this week and not really getting back on my feet until yesterday for the most part, I have to admit that it was a little difficult to prepare a sermon for this morning. And so I have to confess that I pulled out an old one uh, for y'all this morning. (laughs) And so for those of you who were here a few years ago, you may recognize it and it may sound a little familiar to you. This morning in Luke chapter 10, we have again that masterful parable known as the Good Samaritan. And it's such a popular and well-known parable that its term is used in everyday life. I mean, even with the attack on everything that is Christian in our society, we still have laws labeled Good Samaritan laws, and people use it on the news and so forth. It starts at the outset with something that grabs everyone's attention. A man who was beaten and robbed and left for dead in a ditch. Jesus paints a picture of a man traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. He was traveling along the bloody way, as it was called in those times. It's a road that's 22 miles long, and it it descends about 3,500 feet along the way. It was a rocky and a treacherous road, and there were robbers and thieves that would hide in the caves, and they would wait for someone to pass by. And when they did, they would jump them and plunder their goods. And apparently that's what happened to this man in Jesus' parable. He was robbed, severely wounded, and he was left for dead. And Jesus first says that a Jewish priest comes along, yet the priest crossed on the other side. He didn't come near to the man at all. He didn't even come close enough to check whether the man was alive or not. Then a Levite, who is another minister of the temple, came. And he too kept on moving while the man was left to suffer and die. And the priest and the Levite, well, they had reasons, of course. They knew that they were performing functions at the temple. And they understood that touching a dead man would defile them and would render them unable to perform their functions in the temple. They'd be unclean. So to help the man would have upset their world. It would have required them to set aside their own desires and their own duties to serve in the temple. And note the contrast that Jesus makes here. The ones who were most especially to show compassion, the ones who any good Jewish person would look to as the embodiment of God's mercy, are more concerned about the law and their duties rather than the welfare of another's life. And then Christ speaks concerning the Samaritan. The Samaritan was one who was an outcast from the Jews. They differed in their beliefs concerning where God was to be worshipped, And their ancestors are those Jews that intermarried with the pagans. So needless to say, there was a lot of disdain towards them. So imagine the reaction, the gasp of surprise and disgust as Jesus presents this Samaritan as being the one who stops and helps the man. It was this Samaritan who actually came near and stooped and stopped and helped the man. 
It was the Samaritan who put aside distinctions and self-concerns for a moment and did what was necessary to care for another. He poured oil and wine into the man's wounds, an expensive sacrifice on the part of the Samaritan. He put the man on his donkey, and he took him to an inn, and he spent the night caring for the man. Again, an expensive sacrifice of time and money on the part of the Samaritan. And then the Samaritan paid the cost to the innkeeper for as much time as was needed to care for the man. And in his closing point, Jesus tells the lawyer this, Go thou and do likewise. Ultimately, this parable is really a picture of Jesus as the Good Samaritan. I mean, isn't that what Jesus did in the Incarnation? He, he stooped down to save humanity. Jesus came and picked up humanity. Humanity which had been stripped of his righteousness by virtue of sin. Nothing and no one else could save humanity. The law, the prophets, the earthly animal sacrifices, all represented by the priest and the Levite in the parable, could and would not save humanity. But Jesus could. And Jesus did. In his illustrative answer to the lawyer's questions, Jesus basically says, well, look at me. I'm the embodiment of the law. I'm the embodiment of loving God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And I'm the embodiment of love your neighbor as yourself. But Jesus goes beyond just describing himself as the quintessential example and expression of God's mercy and love. He also says to the lawyer at the end of the parable, go thou and do likewise. And so while we may really learn of Jesus' touching and saving humanity from death, we do have his command to look at our own lives and to measure our neighborly actions against his. Or to examine and consider whether our daily lives are a living expression of that same mercy and love extended to us by Christ. The prophet Micah wrote, what does the Lord require of thee? but to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly before thy God. And let me read for you the exhortation that St. Paul wrote in the opening words of chapter 2 of Philippians. He says, Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And then, of course, he goes on to describe the incarnation and sacrifice of Christ. Well, are we like the priest? Are we like the Levite? Do we allow the duties of law to get in the way of helping others? Do we allow our own perceptions of others stop us from reaching out to them? Do we let our fears stop us from extending mercy to the dead man in the ditch? Or are we like the Samaritan? Are we like Christ who stopped? I mean, we're in a world of go, go, go. Get ahead in life. Climb the corporate ladder. Get more degrees in school. Lead the pack. Be the best. And those things require a lot of work, a lot of time, and a lot of sacrifice. And it's not wrong to seek those things. But sometimes we do it at the expense of taking moments to stop when stopping is most important. 
When occasion arises, we are called to make a Samaritan stop. When a situation presents itself, we're to stop and to be the instruments of God's mercy and love in a Christ-like manner. It may be lending a helping hand, lifting up another with words of encouragement, supporting another in a time of need, remembering others in our prayers. It may mean a sacrifice of time or sacrifice of treasure. But the impact we make if we just stop is immense. When we lay aside our own concerns, when we put aside our own self-pursuits for a moment, when we consider another more than we consider ourselves, when we do that which St. Paul listed in that passage from Philippians chapter 2, then we have the opportunity to touch another life, to change another life. By making a Samaritan stop, we become the instruments of God's mercy and love in another life. And then there is nothing more fulfilling than knowing that God used us for his purpose in that way. But for that to occur, we must stop. Those who were here when I preached this previously will remember this story and the power of it, I think. I don't know whether it's true or not, but it shows the power of making a Samaritan stop. Someone wrote this. One day when I was a freshman in high school, I saw a kid from my class was walking home from school. And his name was Kyle. And it looked like he was carrying all of his books. And I thought to myself, why would anyone bring home all of his books on a Friday? I mean, he must really be a nerd. And I had quite the weekend planned for myself. Parties and a football game with my friends the next day. So I shrugged my shoulders and I went on. And as I was walking, I saw a bunch of kids running towards him. And they ran at him, and they knocked all the books out of his arms, and they tripped him, so he landed in the dirt. His glasses went flying, and I saw them land in the grass about ten feet away. And he looked up, and I saw this terrible sadness in his eyes. And my heart went out to him. So I jogged over to him, and as he crawled around looking for his glasses, I I saw a tear in his eye. And as I handed him his glasses, I said, you know, those guys are real jerks. They really should get lives. And he looked at me, and he said, Hey, thanks. There was this big smile on his face, and it was one of those smiles that showed real gratitude. And I helped him pick up his books, and and I asked him where he lived. And as it turned out, he lived right near me. So I asked him, well, I've never seen you before. Why not? And he said, well, I've gone to private school up until now. And I would never have hung out with a private school kid before. We talked all the way home, though, and I carried his books. And he turned out to be a pretty cool kid. And I asked him if he wanted to play football on Saturday with me and my friends, and he said yes. So we hung out all weekend, and the more I got to know Kyle, the more I liked him. My friends thought the same of him. So Monday morning came, and there was Kyle with the huge stack of books again in his arms, and I stopped and I said, you're going to really build some serious muscles with this pile of books every day. And he just laughed and he handed me half of the books. And over the next four years, Kyle and I became best friends. And when we were seniors, we began to think about college, and Kyle decided on Georgetown I was going to go to Duke, and he was going to be a doctor, and I was going to go to school for business on a football scholarship. And Kyle was valedictorian of our class, and he had to prepare a speech for the ceremony. And on graduation day, I saw Kyle, and he looked great, but I could see that he was nervous about his speech. So I smacked him on the back, and I said, hey, big guy, you're going to be great. And he looked at me with one of those looks, that really grateful one. And he smiled. Thanks, he said. And as he started his speech, he cleared his throat. And he began, 
Graduation is a time to thank those who helped you make it through those tough years. Your parents, your teachers, your siblings, maybe a coach, but mostly your friends. I'm here, he said, to tell all of you that being a friend to someone is the best gift that you can give them. I'm going to tell you a story. And I just looked at my friend with disbelief as he told me the story of the first day that we had met. He had planned to kill himself over that weekend. He talked of how he had cleaned out his locker so that his mom wouldn't have to do it later and was carrying his stuff home. He looked hard at me and he gave me a little smile. Thankfully, I was saved. My friend saved me from doing the unspeakable. And I heard the gasp go through the crowd as this handsome, now popular boy told us all about his weakest moment. And I saw his mom and his dad looking at me and smiling with that same grateful smile. Not until that moment did I realize the depth that that had had. It's amazing what happens when we live outside of ourselves. It's amazing what impact we can have when we take that moment to stop. Never underestimate the power of your actions. Never forget to emulate Christ as the Good Samaritan. With one small gesture, you can change a person's life for better, even for worse. With one brief stop, you can lift another from the ditch and bring them to new heights. With one encouraging touch, you can let another know how much God loves them. God puts us all in each other's lives to impact one another in some way. So let us go and do likewise. Let us stop and be God's instruments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. We pray that God's Spirit has spoken to you and blessed you today through this sermon. If you would like to learn more about St. Matthias Anglican Church, you can visit us on the web at www.stmkaty.org.